0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who believes in utilizing functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach, which looks at uncovering the root causes for the symptoms we are having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a Band-Aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I feel so strongly about this that I had to leave my conventional medicine practice. While conventional medicine thrives with acute care issues, there is much to be desired with regards to chronic conditions. No longer could I practice in an institution where volume of patients rather than optimization of health was its driving force. I started my own practice, specializing in functional medicine, where I work with my clients to uncover their unique story, utilizing the functional medicine timeline and matrix, identifying the antecedents, triggers, and mediators driving the disease process, assists with getting to the root causes of the symptoms in order to allow for healing. This personalized approach leads to improved health outcomes. If you want to work with me and live in Indiana, head on over to my website at www.thefunctionalnursepractitioner.com and click the link to book your free introductory call just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner also if you like what you hear on this show i would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on spotify itunes or wherever you're listening from and subscribe to the show okay on to today's episode Today was going to be the fourth and final segment of our series all about exercise. However, when researching and writing this episode, I quickly realized that this is a much bigger, more important conversation than I originally thought. So... We are starting a new series. -series? (laughs) Mini-series? That would likely be too confusing. We kicked off the exercise conversation by going in-depth about the vital role of exercise for our well-being. We dove into its impact on our body's cellular functions, metabolism, immune system, mental health, and cognition. In part two, we got into the nitty gritty of exercise timing, focusing on morning and afternoon exercise. Last week, we rounded out the timing conversation talking about evening exercise, and then we discussed the need for personalization of exercise. Today, we are going to begin the conversation surrounding tailored exercise. I thought it would be fitting. <laughs> See what I did there? Fitting. This new series is called The Fit Life. I am so clever. Well, maybe not. Anyway, I thought it would be really fitting to get into the importance of tailoring your exercise. I am very hyped up about this convo we're about to have. Let's start with a broad overview on what you can expect from this series, part one, Holistic Approach to Fitness, Synergy of DNA, Zones, and Fitness Styles. Part 2, Whole Body Fitness, Cardiovascular Vitality, Building Strength, Resilient Cross-Training, and Mind-Body Harmony. And Part 3, Tailored Fitness, Age, Environment Routines, and Sustained Motivation. Friends, I hope you are excited about this. I am. I really think you are going to love this new series. Today's outline Segment one, heart rate zone training, efficiency and effectiveness. Segment two, genetic considerations. Are we working against our DNA? Segment three, the importance of a warm up and cool down. And segment four, finding your exercise style, trying different activities to discover what you enjoy. Today's episode was prompted by a few questions from Frank. Frank asked, I recently heard about zone training. Is this a thing? I exercise regularly but haven't seen any big changes in my physique. Can you explain zone training? I want to know if it would be beneficial. Thank you, Frank, for your Awesome questions. As a reminder, if you have an idea for a show or a question or comment, send me a DM, email, or comment on a YouTube video and I will give you a shout out. I want to preface this conversation by stating that exercise, just like nutrition, needs to be personalized. There are many variables to consider as we are all unique and different. The way in which we respond to exercise varies from person to person, but there are some basic principles that are likely to be very beneficial to understand. Let's first start with a brief recap of the importance of exercise for overall health and well-being. I know that I learn best by hearing key concepts again and again. It makes it sink in. One of the many reasons why I love listening to podcasts and lectures when I run. The role of exercise in promoting our overall health and well being is undeniable and spans across every stage of life. Even from infancy, physical activity contributes to developmental milestones like holding up the head, rolling over, walking. Regular physical activity is crucial to maintaining our health but also with regards to improving our health. The evidence for exercise's benefits on our health is powerful, impacting mortality rates, cardiovascular and metabolic health, mental health, cognition. Exercise impacts us at the cellular level. Physical activity impacts our microbiome. I love my microbiome. The trillions of microorganisms living in and on my body Are my friends? Did you know that they can hear our thoughts? Makes you question some of the things you think, doesn't it? I know when I learned this, I questioned everything. Sedentary lifestyle and obesity are the leading causes of disability and death. With conditions like cardiovascular disease affecting a significant portion of the world's population, remember heart disease is the number one killer around the world. I can't remember how many times I have told my clients that I care about all of them, every aspect of their health. I particularly care about their heart. Knowing globally the impact of heart disease, it must be addressed. Our cells undergo positive changes due to exercise, from enhancing protein functionality to promoting the growth of new cells. The relationship between exercise and longevity is well-established, with numerous studies suggesting that regular physical activity promotes a longer and healthier life. If you missed the full conversation on this topic, I will refer you back to episode 41. Segment 1 heart rate zone training, efficiency and effectiveness. What is heart rate zone training and why does it matter? Heart rate zone training is important to understand for any type of exercise as training outside of the optimal zone for the type of exercise you are performing may be counterintuitive. Heart rate zone training looks at zeroing in on a particular zone for a particular purpose. Heart rate zone represents the percentage of your maximum heart rate, MHR. How do you calculate your MHR? For the most accurate number, you would need a cardiopulmonary exercise test, a VO2 max test. Not everyone is the same. We need to remember this. Maximum heart rate also declines with age. An easy way to calculate your MHR is to subtract your age by 220. A 40-year-old has an MHR of 180. Remember, this is an estimate. Your maximum may be higher or lower, but this is a good starting point. Next, you will need the capability of measuring your heart rate during your workout. I am a big fan of fitness trackers, though they may not be for everyone, especially those more sensitive to EMFs. There are others that may find tracking fitness through a more controlled manner to be triggering. I don't believe in absolutes. We are all unique and different. I have a Samsung smartwatch. Truthfully, I like my Garmin watch more, but I wasn't able to make calls from it in the event of an emergency. And since I run solo in the woods without my phone, I thought it would be more important have this capability my husband is also notified when i start running and he can actually see me in real time on the trail i use the app strava for my workouts as i like the way everything is laid out plus all of my friends use strava and we are a bunch of competitive folks (laughs) strava defaults heart rate max to 190 so you will need to go into your settings to adjust as needed I've been using this app for nine years and have seen how high I can get my heart rate, so I left it at 190, though from my age, according to the formula I mentioned, it would be 172. I am very interested in professionally testing my VO2 max. In a few, I will get into my genetic predisposition as another factor for keeping my MHR at 190. A key part of zone training is knowing your max heart rate. If you don't know what yours is, the best bet would to use the formula and just be sure to change the value in whatever tracker and fitness app you're using to reflect that value. There are five heart rate zones and they can be a game changer when you truly understand the concept and how to train for a particular zone. Zone one is considered the endurance zone. This is the target range for warming up and also recovery workouts, which we will get into later in the series as they are crucial for an optimal exercise regimen. Zone one should be around 50 to 60% of your heart rate max. As an example, my run yesterday, man, it was brutal. Definitely pushed myself more than usual. 86% humidity at 8 in the morning. I should have started at daylight. Yesterday, I was in zone one for only a minute and 20 seconds. Honestly, this was not enough. A warm-up of at least three to five minutes would have been better. Injury is not something that I want. Zone two is considered moderate, lower-intensity training. Incorporating a significant amount of lower-intensity training, often referred to as polarized training, offers numerous benefits that are well-documented in the realm of fitness and athletic performance. This approach not only prevents burnout and overtraining-related injuries, or frankly for that matter, overtraining-related adrenal dysfunction, but it can enhance athletic factors such as strength and cardiorespiratory function. Some research has shown that polarized training can be more efficient than other methods like high-intensity interval training, HIT, for improving benchmarks such as VO2 max, time to exhaustion, and power output. I am very interested in the science of exercise. What is polarized training. Polarized training is a strategic training approach that involves varying exercise intensities to optimize performance and health benefits. This method emphasizes spending a significant portion of your training at a manageable steady intensity, typically 70 to 75 percent of your maximum heart rate. This cultivates a robust aerobic foundation Promoting improvements in vital factors such as cardiovascular endurance, respiratory function, and the body's ability to utilize fat for energy. Polarized training aims at around 80% of the workout at this level of intensity and rounding out the workout so the other 20% training at a significantly higher Intensity surpassing 85% of your maximum heart rate. Zone 2 training is not only an instrumental component for athletic performance but also for achieving metabolic health and longevity. I was in zone 2 for around 14 minutes, that is about 29% of my workout. When we are engaging in lower intensity activities, the body generates energy through fat oxidation. I think of zone 2 as our fat burning zone. At this level of intensity, fat metabolism is a more sustainable and efficient energy source. Zone 2 training helps improve aerobic capacity and can help make your body able to burn fat for energy. Zone 2 is the zone of exercise intensity that impacts your mitochondria, the energy powerhouses of the cells, in the most beneficial way. Zone 2 increases the number and function of mitochondria. This will benefit you metabolically. Zone 2 training can make a significant difference with your cardiovascular fitness, leading to better heart health and increased circulation, which can support overall fat metabolism. Zone 2 training mostly recruits type 1 muscle fibers. This type of skeletal muscle fiber is known as slow twitch, which supports long distance activities versus type two or fast twitch, which support quick movements, power movements. Think of sprinting or an explosive power movement with weightlifting. When I learned this, friends, it was a game changer. There I was at the gym five or so days a week, pushing myself so hard and I saw no improvements. No matter what I did, I could not shed a pound. I can see it now, how it is all connected, the numerable different components of optimization. Granted, I love pushing myself. I would wanna run every day. I feel so powerful when I do, but my body does not appreciate being run into the ground. I started having problems. I developed autoimmunity. I had severe adrenal dysfunction, it's not worth it. I actually have grown to love walking. I can still listen to podcasts and exercise my brain the way I love to do without throwing myself to the wolves. I am the queen of analogies, or at least let me think I am. Jogging, brisk walking, moderate pace cycling, even swimming are excellent options. Zone two should be at about 60 to 70% of your heart rate max. This is where it is important to have a way of measuring this. For some, jogging may be a higher intensity form of exercise. There are days, my friends. (laughs) As we are all unique and different depending on the day, the weather, how you slept the night before, how you have been fueling yourself, your level of stress, or adrenal dysfunction, your time in your cycle. For my cycling friends out there born with female parts, there are influencing factors, which is why I do not believe that it should only be about a schedule. How you feel has to be a part of the mix. Now let's talk about zone three. Zone three training is a crucial aspect of cardiovascular exercise that targets moderate intensity training. This is oftentimes called the aerobic threshold zone or the tempo zone. The predominance of my run yesterday was in zone three. I spent 20 minutes, so that's 43% of my run in zone three. Zone three training is a fantastic balance between endurance and intensity, making it a valuable part of your overall fitness routine. Zone three embodies aerobic endurance and should put you around 70 to 80% of your heart rate max. You should feel this effort. This is the training that you notice, but you can still talk to your friends. Sometimes when I run, I get a call. Shout out to Nicole. Love you, girl. We talk for a bit and then I'm like, okay, I am pushing threshold, so I have to go. (laughs) I did not actually check my watch. I knew I was pushing because I could barely breathe, and I could not carry on a conversation. Zone three is really the zone that encompasses your aerobic threshold. Your body starts to rely more on anaerobic metabolism. Anaerobic means without oxygen. This is the zone between sustainable exercise and pushing higher intensity training. What are the benefits of Zone 3 training? Zone 3 training enhances your body's ability to handle longer-duration exercises. This then promotes overall cardiovascular endurance. Another consideration, Zone 3 leads to a higher caloric burn. I am not suggesting that you ignore Zones 1 and 2, but it does matter. Peppering in Zone 3 training. Let's talk about Zone 4 training. Zone 4 training, also known as the threshold zone, is where you push your body significantly, working at 80 to 90% of your maximum heart rate. You should be breathless, unable to carry on a conversation comfortably. I literally had to tell Nicole breathlessly, call me back. I quickly hung up and paused my watch. It took me a good 30 to 40 seconds to slow my breathing. This zone pushes you to its anaerobic threshold. Lactic acid is accumulating faster than it can be cleared. While zone 4 training can be very effective, improves your ability to sustain higher intensity workouts for longer, boosts your cardiovascular fitness, and can improve your overall athletic performance. It can be very demanding on your body. It creates stress. Remember that while exercise can be very beneficial to the body, it also can be a stressor. Zone 4 training significantly burns calories during and after your workout. It can be easy to overtrain, especially in this zone. I was in zone 4 for about eight and a half minutes. That's about 25% of my run. I was pushing it With this run, it was very hot, which affects me quite severely with higher intensity workouts. I used to push myself this way daily, sometimes multiple times per day. I do not recommend this as it can lead to injury, but it also can disrupt your adrenal glands. This is the zone where I feel that high, the euphoria. It can be quite intoxicating, so I do like paying attention to zones to ensure I'm not overdoing it. Today, I did a low-intensity, 30-minute workout with gentle movements, mostly just to get my body moving. I get very tight after a big push, like yesterday, and my body can stay sore for longer. Moving my body in the morning, slow and low, intense movements, help me to recover quickly. I am definitely a fan of move your body every day. Zone 5. Zone 5 is anaerobic using around 90 to 100% of your heart rate max. I spent 1 minute and 10 seconds in zone 5. That's about 3.5% of my run. My max heart rate for the run was 192. And let me tell you, I felt it. My average heart rate was 156. You can see I was pushing myself hard. I've averaged in past runs 180 beats per minute. That is very, very stressing to the body. I am fiercely competitive, and this was in a race. I did not look at my watch to see what zone I was in. I simply wanted to win. I was able to sustain this intensity because I pay a lot of attention to zone training. Zone 5 training is a critical part of maintaining glycolytic capacity. Glycolytic capacity is a measure of, quote, the maximum rate of conversion of glucose to pyruvate or lactate that can be achieved acutely by a cell, end quote. How fast can a cell quickly change glucose into usable energy during intense physical activity or even in certain stressful situations? When your cells need a sudden burst of energy, how quickly can your body make this happen? It is suggested that zone 5 training is the zone for longevity. Ideally, zone 5 training should encompass a very small amount of your training session and preferably at the end of the session rather than at the beginning or the middle due to the buildup of lactic acid. You only need seconds of this type of training, maybe up to a minute. You also need plenty of recovery time afterwards and between zone 5 training sessions. When I'm running, I'm concentrating on whatever podcast I'm listening to rather than what zone I'm in. I do oftentimes stop and allow my heart rate to come down to purposefully avoid overtraining. Remember, it's the long game that matters here. What is your typical routine? Don't worry, my friends. We will get all into routines later on in the series. So what's it all mean? What are some key takeaways? Ideally, you should spend the predominance of your workout in zone two. Remember, this is the zone where your breathing is increased, but you can sustain this level of activity for several hours. Think of hiking, your favorite trail. I love hiking. I used to think that hiking or even brisk walking was not a real workout. I used to believe if I wasn't pushing myself, To the point of complete exhaustion, I would never lose weight. Boy, was I wrong. One of the things I love about Zone 2 is that it is perfect for training with other people. Buddy up with a friend, go on weekly hikes, or get some laps in if you're partial to swimming. There are so many different ways to combine different zones for an effective workout routine. Have no fear, my friends. We will get into workout routines Later on in this series, segment two, genetic considerations. Are we working against our DNA? I love talking about genetics. If you know me, you know. I have the ACE-II genotype. I is for insertion, angiotensin-1 converting enzyme. The ACE-II genotype is associated with elevated VO2 max, My genotype has been shown to have a higher response in VO2 max when training. Apparently, I am built for endurance. I also have the CAT CC genotype. CAT or catalase is the antioxidant enzyme involved in protecting the cells from oxidative stress. My genotype is involved with the most protection and also better training response and greater improvements in VO2 max in response to aerobic training. PPARGC1A Perox Isome Proliferator Activated Receptor Gamma Coactivator 1 Alpha. Phew, that's a mouthful. I have the GG genotype. This is associated with a greater endurance performance ability likely related to VO2 max response. The G allele is associated with a higher percentage of slow-twitch muscle fibers, those type 1 fibers we talked about earlier, that are greatly impacted by zone 2 training. This genotype paired with the PPARDCC genotype, peroxisome proliferator activated delta, I actually am not homozygous with that one. I have the CT genotype. If I had the CC genotype, it would be positively correlated with the elite endurance athlete status. I feel like I'm close enough. When looking at my genetics, it shows that endurance workouts are an integral part of my wellness. Endurance is a high-impact pathway. If you remember, genes can be low, medium, high, or very high, very high being the most impactful. I am considered a high responder. I should include a higher ratio of endurance workouts in order to develop my aerobic capacity and lactate threshold. Incrementally increasing the duration of my endurance sessions will propel me towards my fitness goals, making use of the overload principle. I need appropriate recovery in order to promote adaptation. This is vitally important, and I did not even consider this for most of my life. My training response pathway is also very high. I should take advantage of my superior training response potential through a consistent and progressive training program. Hey, not making this up over here. This is what it says. I likely have a high baseline fitness and experience exceptional increases in VO2 max associated with elite athletic performance. Man, I needed this confidence boost today. To keep things in perspective, my cellular pathway for exercise response is considered high. My fat cells release fuel less efficiently when I exercise. Regular exercise plays a vital role in weight management, but prioritizing a quality diet. Good sleep, stress management are just as important to enable a healthy weight. It is suggested to manage my weight with high quality nutrient-dense foods rather than relying on exercise alone. I used to think that exercise was all that matters. Consuming foods, herbs, and spices that naturally increase energy expenditure like curcumin and green tea, both of which are in my morning smoothie, is recommended. Including foods rich in B vitamins, nitric oxide, and carnitine like beets, pomegranate, leafy greens, legumes, fish, most of which I consume on a daily basis is crucial to support energy expenditure. Balancing exercise with quality sleep, stress management, and breathing exercises is key for supporting my genetic predisposition. Friends, I love genetic testing. I run a lot of 3x4 tests in my practice, and it can be a game changer for personalization. It was very validating. Clients have told me that they too felt validated, empowered. My recovery pathways Likely need support. That was not surprising. (laughs) It is recommended that I plan for active recovery sessions, especially after higher intensity training days. Paying particular attention to quality nutrition post exercise, utilizing a combination of carbs and protein to enhance recovery, allowing me to be ready for my next exercise session sooner. I am not afraid of carbs. I like the concept of strategic interventions, whether that is a strategic supplement, strategic nutrients, go smarter, not harder. I should also pay close attention to planning my exercise sessions, looking at frequency, intensity, time, and type, the FITT principle. How do I feel after exercise? How do I adapt? There are different methods of adapting, and it needs to be what works best for you rather than attempting for you to conform to a regimen that is not conducive to the optimal you my power pathway is considered a low impact pathway i may take longer to respond to power training making use of interval workouts to improve my anaerobic capacity is key when beginning this type of training it is recommended to start with moderate intensity and progress gradually rather than starting with high intensity i likely need more recovery time than most shorter duration moderate intensity followed by 30 seconds to 5 minutes of rest during interval style meshes with my genes. using lighter weights that fatigue my muscles within 15 reps focusing on controlled movements to maintain correct form adding in running stepping jumping allowing at least one day between strength workouts and remembering that consistency is key. Research shows that DNA sequencing differences plays a key role in different individuals' physical activity level, cardio-respiratory fitness, metabolic responses. The association between genetics and exercise is a complex and intriguing area of study it is essential to understand that our genes interact with various environmental factors, such as lifestyle, diet, and training, which shapes our unique individual fitness outcome. Genetic factors can influence various aspects of exercise performance and training adaptations. One of the most well-studied genetic components is the distribution of muscle fiber types. Are you prone towards a higher proportion of fast twitch or slow twitch muscle fibers, which can impact your potential for strength or endurance activities? I am prone to endurance, slow twitch. Does this mean I can't lift? That I can't have explosive movements? No, that's not what it means. When I started training smarter, Looking at my heart rate zones, looking at how I felt when I was exercising, I finally started to put on muscle. I am very strategic with my training, and it does not take some crazy amount of time. I am doing less now than I did years ago when I was at the gym on a daily basis. I saw no benefit then. I weighed 70 pounds more than I do now. I was doing it all wrong. Our unique genetic variations can influence factors like aerobic capacity, oxygen utilization, and metabolic rate, all of which contribute to an individual's athletic abilities. Genetic factors can influence your ability to gain muscle mass, lose fat, or respond favorably to specific types of exercise. I do best with doing less. I push myself a couple of times a week, spaced out at least three days to positively influence my power capacity. Some people may experience rapid muscle gain in response to strength training, while others may excel in endurance activities. Please remember that genetic predisposition does not dictate an individual's destiny in the realm of fitness. Genes may set the stage, but your lifestyle plays the vital role with your outcome. Regular exercise consistency, regardless of our genetics, can lead to substantial health improvements and performance achievements. We are playing the long game, my friends. Personalized exercise programs that consider an individual's unique genetics, I highly recommend. Just remember, genetics offers the blueprint but lifestyle choices, training consistency, and dedication remain paramount in achieving personal fitness goals. Segment three, the importance of a warm-up and cool-down. Let's get into the importance of a warm-up and cool-down, the bookends of your workout, serving distinct yet equally crucial purposes in preparing the body for physical activity and aiding its recovery afterwards. The warm-up A proper warm-up is like priming an engine before setting out on a journey. It gradually elevates your heart rate, increasing blood flow to your muscles, and readies your joints for the impending movement. I've got four reasons why a warm-up should be an essential part of your exercise routine. Number one, injury prevention. Cold muscles and stiff joints are more prone to injury. When you warm-up, You help with increasing muscle elasticity and flexibility, reducing the risk of strains, sprains, and tears during exercise. Number two, improved performance. We talked about ending your workouts with zone five. It would not be conducive to optimization to get into zone five out of the gate and then struggle for the remainder of your workout because you pushed too hard and too fast too soon. Warming up gradually raises your heart rate, respiratory rate, allows your cardiovascular system to adjust to the upcoming demands. This allows for optimal oxygen delivery to your muscles and can enhance your performance. Number 3, neuromuscular readiness. I love talking about our nervous system. It is so underrated. Warming up sends signals to your nervous system, enhancing coordination and responsiveness. This leads to better motor control and balance during your workout. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to be clumsy. I've fallen before on a trail. I smashed my finger about a year ago. It has still not fully recovered. Warming up preps the nervous system to manage the workout. Number four, mental preparation. A warm-up also helps mentally prepare for the upcoming workout. It allows you to transition from a sedentary state to a focused and engaged mindset, increasing your workout's effectiveness. We need to put our minds in our muscle, so to speak. Focus is so important, and I love warming up. I didn't used to bother. I thought it was a waste of time. Now I look at the warm-up. As part of my workout, I definitely should have started slower yesterday. Sometimes when I run, I get really hyped up. Who am I kidding? I always seem to get hyped up. I pushed too hard out of the gate and it cost me for the rest of the run. What I should have done was a light jog for five minutes or so. Friends, I am not perfect. None of us are. I do the best I can and I fail miserably at times cool down. The cool down is equally important as it promotes recovery and ensures a smooth transition back to a resting state. I've got four reasons why you should incorporate a cool down into your exercise routine. Number one, gradual recovery. Cooling down prevents the blood from pooling in your extremities and facilitates the removal of of waste products, reducing the risk of dizziness or fainting, we stir up a bunch of stuff through exercise. Exercise helps the body get rid of toxins. These toxins are filtered by the lymph nodes and kidneys. Cooling down helps facilitate the process of removal. Number two, muscle recovery. Intense exercise leads to the accumulation of metabolic byproducts like lactic acid. Cooling down helps flush out these byproducts, minimizing muscle soreness and stiffness. Number three, flexibility maintenance. Cooling down when your muscles are warm can help increase our flexibility. This is a great time for static stretches, which can enhance your range of motion and prevent muscle tightness. I have seen a tremendous difference with my flexibility by engaging in cool down stretches every day. I do cool down after every run. It is actually one of my most favorite parts of the entire exercise experience. I feel so satisfied. Number four, mental transition. Just like we need to mentally prepare for exercise through warming up, the cool down serves as a mental transition to post Exercise relaxation. It can help reduce post workout stress, promoting a sense of accomplishment. After I walk for a bit, I do a few static poses, different stretches. Then I turn on my Bluetooth on my phone. I retrieve from my car and check Strava. Yep, I would say it is very gratifying. On days I work out at home, which is most days, I always incorporate a warm up and cool down. The different YouTube videos I work out with have both included and I really look forward to them. I will link a few that I really enjoy in the show notes if you want to check it out for yourself. Incorporating a warm-up and cool-down into your exercise routine doesn't have to be time-consuming. Light aerobic activity, dynamic stretches, and mobility exercises that target muscles you'll use during the workout are very effective as a warm-up. Gentle static stretches that focus on controlled breathing to help the body relax are my favorite for cooling down. Segment four, finding your exercise style, trying different activities to discover what you enjoy. Finding your exercise style is a dynamic journey that goes beyond just breaking a sweat. It is really about discovering activities that truly resonate with you on a deeper level, activities that align with your interests, preferences, and goals. The process of exploration and experimentation is key to unearthing the exercise regimen that suits you best. I've got five ways to jumpstart your exploration. Number one, unveiling variety. Embarking on the journey of finding your exercise style involves embracing diversity. You might discover that you have a love Of high-energy group classes like Zumba or a spin class, maybe you'll find that the tranquility of yoga and Pilates better aligns with your disposition. Trying various activities introduces you to new movements, challenges, and ways of engaging your body, helping you to uncover what truly resonates with you. Number two, personal connection. Finding an exercise style that resonates with you is really about forging a personal connection with physical activity. Engaging in something you genuinely enjoy enhances your motivation and consistency. It's not just about pushing through grueling sessions. It's about looking forward to your time, your fitness time. I look forward to this time every day. I get up in the morning Check my Aura Ring app, brush my teeth, then I plan my morning. Am I pushing it today? How did I sleep? What do I feel like doing? On days I really want to run, but I know it's not in my best interest, I need zone two training. I walk, I plan which trail I will hike. When an activity becomes a source of joy and satisfaction, it's easier to stick with over the long term, leading to sustainable. Fitness habits. We are playing the long game, remember. Number three, physical and mental alignment. Different exercise styles can provide not only physical benefits, but mental and emotional rewards as well. Some thrive in the fast paced environment of team sports, benefiting from camaraderie and competition. I definitely have a love affair with team events. One of my favorite things to do is ride my bike. In the woods with my friends it's an event some days we're out there for hours it is so enjoyable the best days in my opinion are in the woods some may find solace in solo activities i am definitely split on this i love solo running the amount of mental clarity after a long run is unparalleled recognizing the connection between your physical and mental well-being can guide you towards activities that promote holistic benefits. This is also how you can vary it up. I run some days, I ride other days. I definitely feel the need to feed all parts of my soul. Number four, embracing trial and error. The process of finding your exercise style isn't linear. It involves a healthy dose of trial and error. I started my running career Is it a career? Probably not. But I started with group runs, competitive running. Honestly, I didn't really enjoy running back then. I enjoyed winning, (laughs) competing. Now I run because it's very good for my mental health. If I could get away with it, I would run more often. But I know I need more recovery time, so I balance it with lower intensity workouts. Some activities might instantly resonate with you while others may feel wrong out of the gate. Embracing this experimentation is crucial. You need to find what clicks with you. Number five, lifestyle integration. I love this one. An essential part of finding your exercise style is considering how it will fit into your lifestyle. An activity that aligns with your schedule, location, and available resources is more likely to become a consistent part of your routine. I love mountain biking. If I could, I would ride every day. It takes a good chunk of the day to ride. You've got to load up the car, drive to the trails, set up the bike just right, head out, ride, get back to the car, clean up, head home, and unload all of your stuff. It is usually a day's event. At this point in my life, I cannot engage in this activity every day, but I can have this a weekly part of my life or twice a week. This can be a part of my fitness routine. And frankly, I don't even think of it as fitness because I love it. And when my husband and I go on vacation, this is always at the top of the list. It influences where we go, where we stay, our day-to-day experiences, I love it. The integration of an activity that meshes with your lifestyle minimizes logistical barriers and sets the stage for long-term adherence. Finding your exercise style can be an exciting and empowering journey. By exploring a variety of activities, you can uncover what sparks your passion, enhances your well-being, and fits seamlessly into your life. And on that note, we have covered a wide range of topics today, setting the stage for what is to come. Next week, we will get into whole body fitness, cardiovascular power, strength foundations, resilient cross-training, and mind-body harmony. If you like what you hear on this show, share it with a friend. Be sure you are subscribed and clicked the notification bell so you never miss an episode. If you have an idea for a show, send me a DM, email, comment. On a YouTube video. If you want to work with me and live in Indiana, head on over to my website www.thefunctionalnursepractitioner.com and click the link to book your free introductory call. Thanks so much for being on this journey. Together, we will create an army of like-minded individuals looking to steer ourselves down the better health trajectory. I hope you enjoyed spending time with me today, and I will see you very soon. Bye, friends.